0: This is the Investing in Florida Tech Podcast, hosted by Florida Funders Managing Partner, Tom Wallace.
1: Hello, my name is Tom Wallace. I'm the Managing Partner of Florida Funders. And I'm really excited to have with me today Zach Coolias, who's here from San Francisco in the Valley and has a, a really... Uh, Tremendous background in the entrepreneurship and angel investing, and we'll get to that and Zach in a second. But first, I wanted to, just for those of you don't know, Florida Funders, we're a hybrid between a venture capital fund and a crowdfunding platform, and we're geo-targeted on Florida, and we're scouring the state all the time looking for the best, brightest founders and looking to find, fund, and help build the next generation of, of technology companies. We've been at this for about three years. We've backed 22 companies, invested in 22 companies with about 10 follow-ons. We've deployed roughly $12 million in capital. We have, uh, we're have we growing, and we're going to even do probably double that this year, so we're very excited about that. As part of what we do, we try to help new investors get exposed to angel investing, why you want to do it, lessons learned, best practices, and that's what this podcast series is, is about. So with that, again, this is Zach Ulias, and Zach, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background?
0: First of all, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. It was fun to be in Tampa. I'm a four time entrepreneur. Spent about 20 years starting companies. I like to say I've never really had a real job, but we, we sold the last company, um, in 2015. Uh, it's going to be called Trigget. So it's in the advertising space. I transitioned out of the business and now I've kind of shifted over to becoming a full time investor. Been doing that for about four years. Very unlucky. Some of my early investments did very well. And so now it's about, we have about 50 million deployed capital Had a couple big wins early on and now I'm a full time VC.
1: Okay, well, and it is very common for a lot of investors or previous entrepreneurs. It's a, You and I were talking about this a little earlier. I like what you said, so I'm going to ask you about it again. So what do you like better, being an entrepreneur or being an investor?
0: They're different. They're very different. I, I like to say, I like to joke that I'm a washed-up entrepreneur, but I washed up on the beach and the beer is cold and it's <laughs> much warmer and nicer, just chilling out doing what I'm doing now compared to being an entrepreneur. But I think there's nothing nothing like the joy of creating something there's nothing like that the that, that sort of like the rush of being part of a team that's, building that's winning and building and succeeding there's nothing quite as brutal as the beatings you take in that job <laughs> because I think like entrepreneurs by definition we rise to our levels of incompetence you know we we hit the barriers of our limitations whatever it is that you're not good at that's what you run into and unfortunately when you grow at two three four five 10x, Growth rates—you're moving very quickly when you hit those barriers, and you plow into those walls at very high speeds. Things break sometimes yourself, sometimes your team, sometimes everything. And your job is to sort of like constantly go through this process of plowing into those walls, fixing things, getting around the wall, and then plowing into the next wall. So it's a, it's a brutal, it's a brutal job. I mean, when someone as talented as Elon Musk and can compare it to chewing on glass, and I mean, like, and he is Elon Musk. It's you, you, you—you you have to, yeah. I I was deeply humbled by my experience as an entrepreneur. It's the hardest job in the world.
1: Well, you obviously did it well, and now you're on the investing side. So on the other side, looking in, some people might say the dark side. Obviously, we don't look at it that way. We think it's a really fun side. But tell us, how did you first get involved in in angel investing? How did you get started?
0: Yeah, so after we sold um, Trigget, my last company, I was sort of... I like to say I was sort of a lost little puppy for a little while, wandering around, looking for something to do with my life. And Angelist had just started at that point in time, and they had just launched their syndicate product, which basically enabled folks like me who had access to deal flow to sort of share it with other investors who would bring the capital in. And I got to basically participate in that process. And one of the companies that I was an early advisor to this company called Branch Metrics, and they were raising their Series A. So NEA was leading Series A. And I went to the CEO and was like, Hey, do you mind if I put part of this round on AngelList and see what happens? And they were like, sure. Nobody really knew what was going on back then. And so uh-huh. I, they gave me 200K of allocation. I put it up on AngelList and 24 hours later it was gone. And I was like, hmm, that's pretty cool. I'm an investor now. So during that year of sort of rediscovering myself, I ended up doing about five total investments and then was just very lucky that, um, Branch has done very well. Then the third investment I did was a company called Cruise Automation, which
1: nine months later was. Tell us about Cruise. This is a great story.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. So I, during I was kind of like in that period of time, I was kind of like having coffee with my friends and just kind of figuring out what to do next. Yeah, like, I was having coffee with one of my friends, Kyle, who was one of the best engineers I've ever met. I tried to hire him for years and years and years, and he was always too smart to say no. Yes, He was was like, no, 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 I got better things to do. But he had started this new company that did autonomous driving, self-driving cars. I mean, I, I think autonomous is the future, but I'm not a deep expert in autonomous, mm-hmm. but he had started this company and was doing well. And we were having coffee and he was like, Zach, I, I think we got this. And you know, you can tell when you look into the eyes of an entrepreneur who's really got it, like there's just a fundamental difference between that and the entrepreneurs who convince themselves that they have it when they don't, or they're just lying, which happens all the time. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. I think you do have it, don't you? He's like, yeah, yeah. So I got involved in that round and I got an allocation, put it up on an Angelus. Once again, it was gone overnight. And then about nine months later, he he's over at dinner at my house and we're just, you know, had a couple bottles of wine and everyone's having fun. And literally as as he's leaving, I'm washing the dishes and he's like, hey, just let you know, I think something really cool is about to happen. Like, I think something really cool is about to happen. You're going to hear the news pretty soon. I think you would be excited. And I remember literally just being like, yeah, whatever. But that's it. Didn't even think anything of it. He leaves. About a week later, I wake up one morning and there's a message on my phone from one of my investors. And they're like, Hey, what just happened with Cruise? You know, I, I have no idea. So I'm like, You know, my eyes are barely open and I'm, you know, what? Cruise automation. Type it into Google. And I'll say, GM buys Cruise automation for a billion dollars. And <laughs> I'm like, literally, I've never had a bigger shock in my life. This is whole, yeah, it was amazing. Quickly doing them out. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, no. didn't, it didn't take very long. That made my career. That investment led a large number of people to believe I know what I'm doing. I don't think that's true, but people thought I did. And so the
1: capital well, it's not to me like you're being pretty humble, and, and, uh, but that's the nature of angel investing. It's why many of us do it, and uh, it's those highs that you get. When it's good, it's good. Honestly, it's not always like that, and, and those are the uh, few, and hopefully not too far between, but very rewarding when it happens. So you mentioned deal flow. And obviously, that's a big part of this. You, you, you know, one mistake we see angels making is they look at two companies and invest in one. You know, just like anything else, you know, the probability—if you look at fifty deals and invest in one versus looking at two, and invest in one—you're going to do better looking at the fifty. You know, so, where do you get your deal flow, and tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so I think one of the one of my favorite things about Silicon Valley is that it's a community that has created a culture of consummate networking. Because in Silicon Valley, like for any company that starts from the beginning to the end, it always needs things from the network. So it needs, in the beginning, it needs co-founders and then it needs investors and then it needs employees and then it needs partners and then it needs customers. And so what happens is that like there's networks that are built of just sharing. So when, when I see a company, even before I was an investor, when I would see a company that was raising capital, I actually had an email that I sent out to a couple hundred investors who I knew which I called deal flow, which was literally like, hey guys, here's a company I just saw, here's who they are, here's what they do, if anyone's interested, let me know, and then I would make an introduction of that company to those investors. Purely not, for no other reason just helping. Because it, the great thing about Silicon Valley is the more people you help in Silicon Valley... The more people will help you, the more people help you, the better you do. So I'm always looking for ways to just be helpful, especially yeah. like I like, to, I, call, I like to call it just being lazy helpful where I don't have to do any work. I send an email, <laughs> but it adds a lot of value to the recipient of the help, make an introduction. Whenever I can do something that's easy but doesn't require any effort but can add a lot of value. And so I've been doing that my entire career, just trying to constantly be helpful. And now that is coming back in spades. I mean, people send me every day, you know. Whole new handful of deals in my inbox. Every day without my friends just sending me deals. You know, that makes it really easy because I can, you know, look at that and figure out what I want to do.
1: Yeah, so lazy helpful. I think you coined something there. I love that. So you're getting a lot of deal flow. How do you figure out which ones you like, which ones you don't? What are you looking for?
0: My entrepreneurial experience really colors what I look for. And at Trigget, we spent years, just years, pounding our heads into the wall, trying to convince advertisers. We were an advertising platform, technology for helping advertisers, trying to convince big advertisers to help us help them. Like, hey, please be our customer. And we'd go in and spend a couple hours with them and talk them through what we did. And they'd be like, yeah, get back to me in six months. Get back to me in a year. Please don't talk to me anymore. I mean, it was pretty brutal. And we built it to a couple million dollars in revenue, but, like, it was a slog. And right before Facebook went public, they were having trouble with their ad platform. And it was a mess. And one of the guys who worked on that team was a good friend of mine. And so he got permission to basically enable partners to come in and help Facebook monetize their inventory. And we got to be one of those partners. And so suddenly we went from basically having this very broad amorphous pitch that like had all these things that we could do and ands and ors and ifs and buts to like, we could say, Hey, look, we can power retargeting, which is a type of advertising Mm -hmm. on Facebook. And literally overnight our conversations went from, hey, get back to me in six months, to we would call Home Depot. Literally, five minutes into the pitch, they'd be like, send us a contract. We the next day we called booking.com. We're like, hey, we're talking to Facebook. They'd be like, send us the contract. And so in 12 months, we go from a couple million in revenue to 30 million in revenue. Wow. Almost overnight. <laughs> and and for me, I look at that as like really that sort of what happens with startups is there's a there's a period where you're searching for that what we call product market fit you're searching for that thing that works and then once you find it there's this very rapid inversion where everything that was previously very hard finding customers getting traction gets really easy and everything that was previously easy servicing your customers hiring managing your employees dealing with the business that you have becomes very hard because you're scaling really rapidly mm-hmm. and so what i try to do is i try to basically when I find entrepreneurs who are in the search part of the process, I try to help them. I try to be useful to them, lazy useful, like things that don't require any effort, but they can be useful. And then I try to kind of be there. So that when they do find it, I'm in a position to invest and then join that ride. Sometimes I invest before product market fit, but very rarely. I really look for that. First I like goal. the Facebook
1: story because it was another example of you, your network paying off. How you got involved with Facebook, you know, you get yep. Facebook. That's, that's cool.
0: Yeah, and uh, the guy who did that, he wrote a very famous book called Chaos Monkeys. Uh, His name is Antonio Garcia Martinez, and I had known him from poker many years before. I used to play semi professional poker. And so, and he uh, he actually wrote this great book about the whole experience about building that technology and the whole, I mean, New York Times bestseller about like what's it in the book again? It's called Chaos Monkeys. I think it's really literally one of the best books about Silicon Valley written in the last 15 years. I'll have to check it out. It's a great book, yeah.
1: So you'll, you're getting, you're looking at these companies, you get a lot of deal flow. You're picking, you know, some to invest in, some not. How important, you know, the, how important is the founder? what do you look for in the founder?
0: Yeah, I mean, because it, it, it,
1: oftentimes it's a team, right? Yeah, it,
0: the founder is everything, and that's but it's still not enough. So there are great founders who are doing dumb things that I would never back, and there are terrible founders doing great things that i would never back. At the end of the day, I can't invest in a, I can't invest in any business unless I feel like the founder has. The ability to go ten years, ten thousand rounds, and basically be part of the brutality that is building a business. I like to say, I like I like entrepreneurs that are dumb enough to basically drive their head through a brick wall, but that they're smart enough to realize that sometimes they can walk around the wall. I really look in a lot of ways for EQ, where they can they can listen, and you can sit down with them and have a conversation. I like to, I like I like entrepreneurs who I can tell them that their baby is ugly, and then they ask me to say, tell me more. Like that's like the people who so really need to be
1: coachable. So that'd be eh,
0: coachable, but more than coachable, it's, I think of it as someone who thrives on learning how to f- improve someone who really, 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 they're like leaning in on how to get better. For, I like to say that like in my email, I, I have like a little sort of like, read me on Zach. I just basically like what to know if you deal with me. So I'll say, Hey, I'm generally relatively unorganized and, Please don't call me, email me. And one of the things I say is, please, please, please tell me whenever I do something stupid because I want to get better. And I really love it when people tell me that I'm dumb. I love it when people tell me what I'm doing wrong because then I can not do that in the future. And I I really look for entrepreneurs that are the same way where I can – when we're working on ideas, I can be like, well, that's stupid. And they're like, oh, really? Tell me why. Like as opposed to some entrepreneurs, they don't like that. Yeah. So there's – so, yeah, but, but that, so it's really, for me, it's about finding people that work well with my style, which is I tend to be very candid. I tend to tell them what I really think, and that we can have a good, strong working relationship. It's, it's really important.
1: I've debated that with a lot, of, a lot of investors, is the whole coachability and and the ego, the ones that have massive egos. And I've, I've seen very uncoachable CEOs that have massive egos that I can barely stand being in the room with, being wildly successful. But they've got that perseverance. They've got the chutzpah, you know, They've got all a lot of other things going forward. But I'm with you. I I like the ones that are more interested in learning and listening.
0: Yeah, I mean, or you mean like, look, if if the entrepreneur is so damn good that like, they deserve their ego. If they deserve their ego, I'm cool with that. Like, if they deserve it because they're amazing, look, I can stand. out the way. Elon Musk
1: is a rat. Yeah. (laughs) I'm
0: not going to sit there and tell Elon Musk what to do, but if I thought Elon Musk was doing something stupid, I would tell him he's doing something stupid. I, I don't know Elon personally, so I don't know how he would deal with that, but like, my guess is that if Elon Musk was actually doing something that was actually stupid enough that I felt like I could tell him it was stupid, I hope he would listen. Yeah. And, you know, I hope he'd be like, oh, and think about it. That, at the end of the day, I really, it's all about, like, not only your emotions getting in the way of decision-making and about being smart about thinking about the situation.
1: Mm-hmm. So technology today, a lot of good things going on, a lot of really interesting artificial intelligence and cybersecurity and autonomous vehicles. Anything in particular you'd like to look at? or
0: No, I'm... I'm very much a generalist. If I actually was smart enough to have the great world-changing ideas of what's coming next, I should just go start the company. It's For me, it's like I look for something new and original and differentiated, and that requires somebody having the brilliant insight about how to do that, and that requires an entrepreneur. I've been there and done that, and, yeah, I, I get a couple of those in my lifetime. But, like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I want an entrepreneur to walk in the door and be like, hey, you know this thing over here you're not paying attention to that nobody else is paying attention to? Check out this. And be like, oh, wow, you're right. You've just, you've just figured something out. Like, mm-hmm. That's amazing. The more that they can basically go after things that people aren't thinking about, I'm very much like a, a traditional sort of contrarian investor where like the crowd's going one way, I want to run the other. Mm-hmm. So whenever I, an entrepreneur walks in and is like, hey, I heard a great one the other day about like, Literally a robot for eyelash extensions, which who thinks about eyelash extensions? And But, like, it was, like, really, really cool. So stuff like that where it's, like, it's, where they take me to a new place that's exciting to me.
1: Yeah, so you, you're not looking for the, the next Groupon site. I remember when Groupon came out, it was, like, I don't know how many coupon sites there were after that. Like, you know, just copycat, different twist on it, different things. You know? Yeah. Obviously, it can be okay being number two. Lyft has done pretty well, and there's some other people. But I, I like the way you look at that. I tend to do the same thing. Red flags. What are red flags for you? You look at you're looking at investment. you need to say I'm at, I'm done. Once I, I mean, see it's, that, it's a laundry list.
0: Obviously, you have to start with ethics, right? Like I, I can't work with someone I don't trust. Like, if they're immoral or unethical, forget about it. I, I can't work with stupid people. Like it's a hard enough business. Like we like if you're not smart, like I'm just not. I'm not the guy for you. Obviously, the stuff I talked about at EQ earlier is critically important. An understanding of the entrepreneurial journey. And a humility about like the brutality of the jobs critically important. Obviously, people who follow the crowd I, I don't do well with. Yeah, I mean that's, that's a really long list. Like mm-hmm. for me, it's more about like it's about newness. It's about basically like an entrepreneur walking in the room, and be like, telling me something that I'm like, oh my god, that's really new, different, and smart, and like exciting. And then also being good business.
1: But like, yeah, I, I got to ask you this one. So we we get this a lot where we we like the team, we like the entrepreneur. We like the idea. We like the market. We like like almost the whole thing. But we look at the entrepreneur and say, eh, I don't know if they're really the ones that can pull this off. Or they might be able to get it a couple. Because you said 10 years. They have not yeah. taken this 10 years. Yeah. They might be able to get it two years. They were lucky and they're going to need help. Yeah. Do you look at those deals or you're done?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that I always try to remind myself in this business is this is a business about constantly being wrong. First of like, all, if you think about the amount of information that exists about a startup. Like, so if you take a company, you take all of the, if you knew everything about the founder, like, it, let's say you spent your entire life sitting next to the founder, that's a, that's a pile of information. And if you knew everything about the market, another pile of information. And then if you knew everything about the core technologies, another pile of information. Like, the total amount of information that exists on any deal is probably thousands of times more than we have time to process, given the way that this business is executed. So you're by definition you're operating in an environment where you have much much less information than is there, and you're making decisions without that information. So it's by definition a game of mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes in this business. We all are. Yeah. But conversely, this is also a game of incredible returns. So like if one of my friends he started a company, sold to Intel for a billion dollars. He started it, sold to a very rich man. Uber had just started, and Travis was raising money. And Travis made a deal to a number of investors. He said, he, "Here's the deal: if you invest 25k, I'll give you unlimited black car rides for life." And my friend, literally as a joke, said, "Oh, hold on, 25k? Here's how so many black car rides. I'm going to, I'm going to, as a joke, I'm going to invest 25k to see if I can get 25k worth of black car rides out of this company before it goes out of business because <laughs> you thought for sure it's going to go out of business." So he invests 25k into Uber. That 25k investment has now made him more money than his selling his company <laughs> for a billion dollars. So he's made hundreds of millions of dollars off of that 25k investment. And he it, has plenty of black card rides. He's gotten, he's gotten, he's more than got his 25k in black card rides at this point. But so then took, to take that one step further. So imagine that is literally the game we play. One bet can return you 10,000 times your money. So if you're in Vegas and you're, you're in a situation where one bet you're returning 10,000 times your money, what is the optimal investment strategy? Well, and if it's, especially because it's positive expected value, right? As long as you're not stupid, if you invest in a startup, or you invest in a portfolio of startups, you're gonna make more money than you put in. So it's like it's like it's an investment. You're gonna make hopefully more than you put in. And one of them could theoretically change your entire net worth. You could go from literally like flying in first class occasionally to flying on private jets. So it's one of the very few bets that very rich individuals can make that won't harm their net worth but has the potential to dramatically change their net worth. So what's the optimal betting strategy in a situation like that? Well, imagine you had 10,000 pennies in front of you. What would you do? You'd walk around and give it to every goddamn star you saw. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, if anyone could return you 10,000 more pennies, like, that's the optimal strategy. I don't bet quite like that because I think there's a, a very, I think there's a relatively clean delineation between the companies that are never going to have a chance and the companies that do have a chance. It still means. Is it more
1: an art or a science?
0: Both. I think it's both. I think it's a craft, absolutely a craft in that you have. Starting companies is by definition is not a science. Anyone who started a company and gone through extended periods in, in that role, and then you go and you read the books about it, and they're so far from understanding what actually happens inside of a company. So they're like the 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 knowledge base exists very much in this sort of artisanal process of running these companies. And then there's there's incredible knowledge bases around sort of like the strategy of the companies and the positioning of the companies and the technologies the companies. There's all these knowledge bases which are not actually distributed into the world and certainly not incorporated in the investment process. And so, like I think the individuals, those of us who are investing, are taking what knowledge we do have and applying it as best we can, using our experience and hoping to get good outcomes. But the great thing is, is like you be wrong five hundred times in a row and you still make your money back when you can get ten thousand to one.
1: Yeah, it's a numbers game, and, and certainly, and that's one of the things we preach to our investors all the time. Is you have to build a portfolio. You don't want to go in and do two or three deals. You might as well just go to the casino. Your odds are probably better. How much do you get involved? How much do you like to get involved? Do you typically take the board seat? Tell us about that. I
0: get as involved as I can be without having to do too much work. And the reason for that <laughs> is, like, I've got about forty companies in the portfolio so far, and we're adding, you know, give or take ten a year. It's just me, so. So far, I've not taken any board seats. And traditionally, what my strategy is, is I'll I'll find a company when they're young. And then when I invest, I'll usually invest somewhere between a couple hundred to a million dollars into the early rounds. But usually take in a minority position in the round. Mm-hmm. So there's usually a bigger check that's involved. And then in every subsequent round, I'll continue to basically deploy more capital in, usually often a super pro rata, into the round in the follow-on rounds. But I'm always sort of a minority check in any follow-on rounds. And so... The great thing is, is that that gives me, I don't usually have to take a board seat, which is a tremendous time responsibility. And because I'm not on the board, I can usually, and because I'm a former entrepreneur, I usually can develop a relationship with the entrepreneur of trust and just sort of a fellow traveler. Like I've been there with them. I know Mm -hmm. what it's like. And usually what that means is that when something goes wrong, they call me. Like usually when they get sued, they call me. Like, usually when they're about to get bought, they call me. When they're thinking about raising capital, they call me. And so I get to be part of a lot of the really substantive decision-making of that company. It gives me an insight into, the door, insight into where the company's going. And I like to, like I said before, I like I can be lazy helpful there, where it doesn't take a lot of effort for me to give my feedback, advice, make connections, introductions. That's easy. Yeah, sure. um, but at the same time, I can be really useful to the companies.
1: And it scales, right? So yeah, can... well, in theory. So you mentioned Cruise with any big misses, big losses. Well, I mean, I've been
0: at the beginning of Dropbox, Airbnb, Uber, Okta, just so many multi-billion dollar companies where I've been there. I was not an investor for any of those. So I was not, um, I didn't have a checkbook to write at that point in time, but they all taught me some key lessons. I haven't had one yet that I'm kicking myself for, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm sure I will have a lot soon enough.
1: What about uh, you know? To back to deal for, for a second. I just want to get your opinion of the accelerators and uh, pitch competitions. What do you think of those? Do you...
0: I generally hate pitch competitions.
1: I think it's impossible
0: to really communicate what it is a business is doing and to ask hard questions and to really in a public way. Like mm-hmm. entrepreneurs are uncomfortable enough telling the truth, and you put them up in front of a crowd of people, <laughs> and they just start lying. Like it just they just start. <laughs> They just start sharing this sort of vision of what could be, but the reality is not very far from that usually. And so I really struggle, especially when I'm judging one. Like I'm just like I get frustrated about like I know that what they say is not true, but we can't really like dig in and figure it out. I think some of the accelerators do a great job. Obviously, Y Combinator has built an amazing network, and that network is super duper valuable. So they've built some really great companies out of there. You know, I, I think I think they can be very good. Depends. 500 startups. Any sure, areas? yeah. yeah. Um, Dave McCool is an old friend they of mine. They just came
1: to Florida. That's why I asked Yeah,
0: no, that. no, Yeah, I, Dave's an old, old friend of mine. He managed to get himself in trouble for being stupid, um, and he's paying his patents right now. But I think they built something really strong over there. Yeah, they built a, a great culture. And, you know, it's but the, all these things, it's it's really just, for me, it just comes down to the companies. Great companies will succeed no matter what. Like, great founders and great companies will succeed regardless. But some that might not have succeeded will be helped up by the accelerators, and they're, they're, they're useful.
1: We talked about this a little bit earlier on the panel discussion. Uh, you've done one investment in Florida. Are you keen to do more investing sure. in Florida? And, and how do you look at investing outside the Valley and in Florida?
0: Yeah, so I, I'm always looking for more investments outside of Silicon Valley. I mean, it's Silicon Valley is a giant bubble of, I mean, I don't know if the valuations are a bubble, but the sort of froth of excitement and, you know, everything is very frothy in Silicon Valley. And so when I can find good companies outside of Silicon Valley, I think it's... It's awesome. And so I have a company um, called Fenexio, which is based here in Florida. So uh, Steve, I met Steve Donald originally through that investment, and he's become a good friend. They're doing really, really well. Super excited about what they're doing. And awesome. how did you find Fenexio? I was introduced to them by an associate at a VC firm who I had been doing some work with. Uh, just, we just kind of worked on some deals together. And he was like, hey, check out this company. They're too early for my fund, but you should talk to them. I got on the, the call with Ernest, the CEO, and it was like, this is super compelling, but mm, not sure, but let, I like to just sort of like kind of try to be useful. Make, I made a bunch of introductions to potential customers and kind of watched where they were going, and about six months later, he's like, hey, here's where we are and here's what's going on. I was like, ah, I think you got it. So I I, uh, I made an investment, and, and they're doing really well.
1: Yeah, and, and just for the record, Finanxio is also a Florida funder's investment portfolio company, so... Well, this has been great, uh, Zach. Really appreciate it, and uh, you're really interesting. You have great stories, and I can't thank you enough for doing this. And to our audience out there, thanks for tuning in. We'll be doing more of these, and if you have an interest in in learning more about angel investing or becoming an active angel investor, I would encourage you to go out to our website, FloridaFunders.com. We have deals up all the time. We have events all the time around Florida that you can go to. We have. Our CEO is presenting all the time and would love to have you get involved with the Florida Funders community. So, thank you.
0: Florida Funders is an early stage venture capital firm that blends a venture fund and a crowdfunding platform. They are investing in some of the most exciting early stage technology companies in the state of Florida.